All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. This is our daily look at the Torah portion or the reading of the week. And we are in the middle of the Torah portion of Emmer. Emmer, we discussed last, uh, yesterday, which was our first day of studying the Torah portion. We discussed that Emmer is, at least the beginning, is primarily instructions that are relevant to the Kohen. We talked about a Kohen's personal sanctity. We talked about the... Um, uh, the caution that a Kohen is given, a priest, a Jewish priest is given, to not come in contact with the dead, uh, with rare exceptions, immediate family, very close relatives, he is allowed to come in contact with, uh, with death, but otherwise he is not permitted. We talked about who the Kohen can and cannot marry. We then spoke about a Kohen Gadol, a high priest. We spoke about the Kohen Gadols, the high priest, um, even more restrict- restrictive uh, purity or sanctity mandate. And then, of course, we spoke about, as well, who the Kohen can and cannot marry. Again, speaking to the sanctity, the purity, and the uh, the holiness of the high priest. All right, today we are going to continue with the second reading. I'm going to share my screen. Let's jump right into our reading for MR, reading 2, Leviticus chapter 21. Let's begin. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron saying, any man among your offspring, so this is a message for Aaron, i.e. the high priest, any man among your offspring, the Kohanim, the priest, throughout, your, throughout their generations, who has a defect, in the Hebrew it's called a mum, mum is a defect, shall not come near to offer up his God's food. For any man who has a defect shall, should, should not approach a blind man or a lame one or one with a sunken nose or with mismatched, mismatching limbs or a man who has a broken leg or a broken arm or one with long eyebrows, okay, very highly specific here about the, all right, or a cataract or a commingling in his eye, dry lesions or weeping sores, or one with crushed testicles. Any man among Aaron, the Kohen's offspring, who has a defect, shall not draw near to offer up the Lord's fire offerings. There is a defect in him. He shall not draw near to offer up his God's food. Um, his God's food from the most holy and from the holy ones he may eat. Okay, so let's, let's stop here for a moment and understand what's going on here. Essentially what the Torah is talking about is who, if you have a Kohen, which Kohen is fit to serve in that um, public-facing service experience? Sorry, just getting a uh, LaCroix going. So the question is, which Kohen is the right Kohen to serve in that capacity? And essentially, the Torah says that any Kohen who has a mum, who has some sort of um, outward blemish, as was listed in this list of uh, so-called blemishes or defects, that person should not serve. Now, coming from a guy, speaking about myself, who wrote a book on inclusion, all right? Let's, let's, be, uh, let's be frank here. Coming from a guy who wrote a book on inclusion, and the Jewish approach to inclusion. And certainly the Rebbe's approach to inclusion, where the Rebbe spoke of not special needs, but people with special abilities, and etc. So it, it is a little bit challenging to contextualize, to understand, to make sense of these verses. Because what it sounds like the Torah is saying is that if somebody is not uh, exactly, you know, fitting a certain picture that, we've chosen, then you're out. 
So a few things. Number one, it's a good question. Number two, okay, number two, um, it doesn't mean that the, that the individual is not a Kohen or cannot you know, serve in any capacity. It just means in certain capacities, this person is not meant, is, is, not, is not to serve in those capacities. Um, at the same time, there is still, in, at least in certain capacities, there's still a distinction that Torah is, being, Torah is making between one who may serve and one who may not serve. And the, the explanation that's typically given is that God wants that the one who's representing in that public capacity should be a conventionally, conventionally, healthy, unblemished, as it were, human being. Is that, um, what's the right word? Ableist? Is that the right word? Ableist? Or somethingist? Through the modern lens, we might say that, that it's, uh, it's challenging to understand this. But I think, again, like I said before, that there, it's, the door is not being shut on the Kohen who has any one of these forms of blemishes, especially the long eyebrows, which I don't know that I... Or was it long eyelashes? I forgot already. Long eyebrows. Okay. So it's not that uh, the long eyebrow Kohen, you know, is completely banned from all, uh, from all roles, but just from certain roles. Now, let's look at Rashi. We'll see if Rashi can shed some, uh, some insight onto our, in, in our conversation. All right. I'm toggling the screen and Rashi. Let's go. Okay, here we go. Um, the meaning here is that it is not fitting that you should approach. Um, okay, well, let's skip to the end of the Rashi. This is a, a line that I, I want to share. Just, thus, just as an animal with a defect is not fitting as an offering, neither is a person with a defect fitting for presenting it. So that's, that's a, a bit of framing. We already have some framing. In other words, in other words, We talked about the animal sacrifice. If an animal has a broken leg, if an animal has other, some other, another health challenge, that animal is not fit to be brought as an offering. Why? Because you want to bring an animal, you want to bring an offering to God, you want to bring a gift to God, something that is as perfect, if you will, as possible, as unblemished as possible. Otherwise, it seems like you're just getting rid of, uh, you know, you're just getting rid of the, the extra animals and, oh, yeah, here, send that to God, send that to the temple. So you want to bring the good stuff. And so, essentially, Rashi is creating, creating or, or citing an equivalency between the animal and the Kohen. Just like the animal with a mum, with some sort of blemish, defect, cannot be brought as an offering, so to the one who's bringing the offering, the Kohen, also needs to be free of a defect, free of a blemish. And I will tell you, no one is free of a blemish or a defect. Everyone has defects, right? Certainly internal defects. No one's perfect. And yet there is something about appearance here that is, that is, um, that is, uh, that is desired by God. Now, uh, sunken nose, Rashi says, what does that mean? His nose is sunken between his two eyes, such, as the, such that he applies eyeshadow. Look at that. A reference to makeup. He applies eyeshadow to his two eyes with one stroke. Ah, 
If he were applying eyeshadow, he would only need one stroke because his nose is so sunken that his bridge does not intercede between the two eyes. I'm just trying to figure out what that means. Okay, so this bridge is not there. Um, mismatched limbs, meaning one of his eyes is large and one is small or normal, or one thigh is longer than its normal counterpart, etc. Um, what about the unusually long eyebrows? Rashi says that means that his eyebrow hairs are abnormally long and droop. <laughs> Have we discovered the scissor? I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's, yeah. Two zero Mostel. Oh, he had... Zero Mostel. Oh, yeah, yeah, he had the bush, right. Yeah, it sounds like a very, a very, um, you know, specific code. You know, it's interesting. I think of, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Zero Mostel, you mentioned, I was thinking about like performing and, and look and decor. Then I was thinking about sports, all in a, in a very... Uh, Quick thought. There's about the Yankees. It used to be, I don't know if it's like this, it used to be the Yankees, New York Yankees baseball team, had a rule that you could not have long hair. And beyond that, you had to cut their, so if you had like, uh, I remember I think it was this guy Johnny Damon, who played, you know, I don't know, in the 90s, I guess, maybe early 2000s. This guy Johnny Damon, he played for the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, a rival of the New York Yankees. Anyway, when he switched over, you know, because people do that, switched over to New York Yankees. And so he always had long hair, and the Red Sox didn't care. And then when he came to the Yankees, my recollection is that he had to cut the hair, which was the defining feature of Johnny Damon. The point is that they, have, they had a, a protocol, like no long hair. No, in this case, God says, I want a look a certain way. No bushy eyebrows. No really long, droopy eyebrows can be uh, admitted into the inner sanctum of service. Okay, cataract, we, it's over his eyes, a thin membrane over his eyes. Rashi's giving us a medical definition of cataracts over here. Um, a commingling in his eyes, something that mixes the colors of his eye. A white line that extends from the white of the eye, piercing the ring in the center of the eye. Okay, so some sort of eye situation. Dry lesions, we've sort of various types of boils, dry lesions, skin disease, sweeping sores, Egyptian, I don't know what that is, lechion, who knows. Um, okay, crush testicles, okay, we got that. Um, All right, um, this includes other types of defects. When the Torah repeats any man who has a defect, it's referring not exclusively to those that were just specified, but it includes other types of defects not specified in our passage. Rashi says there's a defect in him, and Rashi explains as long as he has the defect, he is unfit for the holy service. However, if his defect goes away, he is fit to serve. There's another line in Rashi that we skipped. I remember now that we skipped before. I was thinking about re going over again. Rashi says a rhetorical question. Were you to offer it to your governor, would, would he accept it or would he favor you? In other words, ask the question like this. If you were sending a gift to the king, who would you send? And as essentially God says, you know, I want the same, I want the same status. Again, in modern, our modern sensitivities and sensibilities and values, you have to, we have to look this up. 
Listen, if anybody wants to take a look, there may, there may be very well, maybe an odd, oh, hey, Mark. There may be a, uh, a, uh, a write-up somewhere on maybe Chabad.org, something that, that gives a little bit more context. If you find something, let me know. We can even do it in, this, uh, in today's section. Okay. We are up to... Can I say something? Yeah, for sure. It seems to me, now it not, doesn't say this, and this is a stretch here, but it seems like the Chabad response to be, would be that the Kohanim, they represent the Levites, they represent everybody before God. And the, they could also represent the infirm that are not capable so instead of de- right. uh, delineating between somebody that couldn't walk up there, they just say everybody with a defect, nobody can go, and the high priest will represent them as well. I know that's a, a stretch. Yeah, I hear that. But it I hear that. Like a, a Habad stretch. Yeah. Well, hey, and that's that's the best kind, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I hear that. I hear that, and I think I think there's some truth to that. You know, it's it's look, it's. It's certainly a, uh, a, a concept that would challenge our more modern sensibilities. But I think that's, yeah, I, th- I think that's true, what you're saying. In other words, on some, you know, there, are, there will be some that will not just physically, physically will not be able to do the service. So therefore, maybe instead of differentiating on that level, maybe there's a, a larger differentiation that's made and... And you're right that everyone is covered or included in that on that level. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's jump into. Let me see. What was the, what was the last verse we did? We did verse 21. Okay. Back inside. I'm going to toggle Rashi off. Let's get back to verse 22. His God's food from the most holy and from the holy ones he may eat. In other words, the the Kohen with the blemish with the defect is allowed to eat from the sacrifices. Like, as I mentioned before, like, like every other Kohen. But he shall not, come, shall not come to the dividing curtain, nor shall he draw near to the altar, for he has a defect. And he shall not desecrate my holy things, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Basically, the Kohen is a Kohen in all other areas, except for performing the service, which, by the way, was not done by all the Kohanim anyway. There was, a, there was big shifts of Kohanim, big shifts of priests, and they each divvied up jobs. So... The point is, the most front-facing job, if you will, or the most, um, you know, the one that's actually bringing the offering or sprinkling the blood by the dividing curtain, that should, not, that should be, be done by one who does not have these types of blemishes or defects. Moses told this to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. So Moses repeated these commandments. Let's do Rashi in the last few verses that we just read. Um, Rashi gets into why the Torah is repetitive over here. Bottom line is he's allowed to eat from the most holy offerings and from the holy ones, the less holy offerings. He's allowed to, though Cohen with a defect can eat from any of the offerings, 100%, not a problem. But he shall not come to the dividing curtain to sprinkle the seven sprinklings of the blood toward the curtain nor come to the altar. That refers to the outer altar, which was where the animal sacrifices were brought. Um, If a Kohen with a defect did perform the holy service, 
Rashi clarifies his service is considered desecrated and thereby deemed invalid. The question that Rashi is addressing is, okay, so it's not ideal that a, a Kohen with a defect should perform the service. What if he did? What if it already happened? Then what? Is it still, is it fine? Like he shouldn't have done it, but it's okay. Or do we say, nope, it's invalidated. The answer is, it's invalidated. Moses told this to Aaron and to the people. Um... What did he speak? Says Rashi, he's told them this entire commandment, all the laws of the Kuna detailed in this passage, all of the laws relating to the Kohanim, who they can marry, who they can, who, who they can and cannot become in contact, which type of dead body they can or cannot become in contact with, and of course these laws of, uh, of defects and blemishes, etc. Why did Rashi ask, uh, when, God, when the Torah tells us that Moses told this, to all the children of Israel, the question is why? Why command all the children of Israel about laws pertaining only to Kohanim? So that the courts of law comprising non-Kohen judges should warn Kohanim of defects and separate themselves from the holy service. In other words, it's good that people know so that they can uh, also be... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They can also be appraised of the law? Not appraised. They should also be okay, aware of the law. So that if somebody sees a Kohen that shouldn't be there doing that service, I'm going to say, hey, you know, I believe that, you know, here's the law. So it's essentially not just told to the Kohanim, but told to everybody so that non-Kohen judges and others, I guess maybe you shouldn't judge others if you're not a judge, but at least non-Kohen judges should know what to tell a Kohen. It's important that everybody know the law. All right, Leviticus chapter 22. Let's continue. Um... All right, let's toggle Rashi off. Let's do some verses, then we'll get back to Rashi. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons. Again, this message is for the priests, the Kohanim, that they shall separate themselves from the holy sacrifice of the children of Israel, which they sanctified to me so as not to desecrate my holy name. I am the Lord. Look at that. Separate themselves from the holy sacrifice. What does that mean? Say to them, let's continue verse 3. Throughout your generations, any man among any of your offspring who, while it is defilement, is still upon him, comes near to the holy sacrifice that the children of Israel consecrate to the Lord, that soul shall be cut off from before me. I am the Lord. In other words, any Kohen who serves while in a state of defilement, that means in a state of ritual impurity, that is a problem. And that Kohen's soul shall be cut off from before me. And God says, I am watching. I know exactly what's going on if you're in a state of purity or impurity. Don't mess around if you're a Kohen and you're in a state of impurity. Do not go near the sacrifices, serve in the temple that is not supposed to be done until you are in a state of ritual purity. Verse 4, any man whatsoever among Aaron's offspring, if he has tzorat, which we spoke about, right? Tzorat is that leprosy-like skin ailment, or has a discharge. We spoke about that as well. He shall not eat of the holy sacrifices until he cleanses himself. He's got to become ritually purified before he eats, well, before he performs the service, or even before he eats from any of the sacrifices that the Kohen enjoys. Remember, we discussed this, you know, over the last while, that certain sacrifices are completely burnt in the altar. But other sacrifices, some of the, of the animal goes to the coin as a gift to eat or to do whatever. Here's the point. 
if the Kohen is impure, if the Kohen, if the Kohen had Sarat, but it didn't go through the purification rite, if he had a discharge, it was a venereal discharge, and he was not yet purified from it, he cannot eat of the sacrifices until he cleansed himself. And one who touches anyone who has become unclean by contact with a dead person, or a man from whom semen issued, or a man who touches any creeping creature through which he becomes unclean, or a person through whom he becomes unclean, whatever his uncleanness, the person who touches it shall remain unclean until evening, and he shall not eat from the holy things unless he has immersed his flesh in water. We've talked about all of these categories before in previous Torah portions in Leviticus. So not that long ago. We talked about tzarat, we talked about the venereal discharge, we talked about touching a creeping, we talked about um, contact with the dead, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the flow of semen, we talked about anyone who touches a creeping creature that, is, that renders one unclean, etc. In all of these cases, the Kohen, who comes in contact with any of the above, becomes impure, or here it's translated as unclean, not physically unclean, but spiritually unclean, and must go through a process and may not eat from the holy things, from the sacrifices, until he is immersed, his flesh and water goes to the mikvah. Now, sometimes you have to wait a few days, right? And then go to mikvah. Either way, you have to wait the time and go to mikvah. And when the sun sets, he becomes clean. If you went to the mikvah before sunset, sure, perhaps, depending on what's on the timing, we still have to wait until nightfall. And afterwards, he may eat of the holy things, for it is his food. In other words, it is the gift that's designated for the Kohen, and he's a Kohen, so he should eat it. But not if he's impure, not if he's unclean. He shall not... Yes. Does that mean if he goes fishing? Seriously, if he goes fishing and he's a worm for bait, he becomes unclean? That's a good question. That's a good question. We have to look at the status of worms, but potentially if, if the worm is, is something that would, a dead worm would render the coin impure, that would become a problem. Correct. Now, again, I don't want to definitively say worm yes or no, but it's very possible that it could be. That's a great scenario, Mark. That's a great scenario. Um, yeah. Not many Kohen Kohanim were fishing back in the day. I'm kidding. I have no idea, right? That's where the Levium came in. That's where the Levites came in. Mark, get the fish, bring it to your Kohen friend. That's it. <laughs> um, okay. He shall not eat a carcass or anything that was torn. Trafe. Trefa is uh, any animal, kosher animal that was not shechted, but slaughtered properly, but it was ripped up, you know, killed in the field. Thereby becoming unclean through it, I am the Lord. Don't become impure by coming in contact with these things. They, again, these are, these are mitzvot for the Kohanim, they shall keep my charge and not bear sin by eating it while unclean and thereby die through it. Since they will have desecrated it, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Don't eat the holy sacrifices while in a state of impurity or else it might not be good, right? Or else they might thereby die. That's a pretty strong warning. Now, the warnings move on from a Kohen who's impure to a non-Kohen. You ready for this, verse 10? No non-Kohen may eat holy things. Not only a Kohen who's impure can't eat the holy things, a non-Kohen, don't even try, right? I'm an Israelite. I'm just a regular Joe, right? And so the Torah warns me and others, many others, do not eat of the sacrificial meat. Oh, wait, now, time out, one second, hold on. Certain sacrifices were eaten 
by the one who brought it, even if they weren't a Kohen. That's fine. What we're talking about here, the holy things, are the parts of the sacrifice designated for the Kohen. No non-Kohen is allowed to eat that. A Kohen's resident and his hireling may not eat holy things. In other words, if it's like someone who's living in the house or whatever it is, they also cannot, and they're not a Kohen, they cannot eat from the sacrificial meat, which becomes challenging, right? You got meat from the sac, you put in the day's work at the old temple, right? You brought back a steak, and you're making steak in your household, and you got a guest coming over for dinner. Yeah? What about that? What are you serving him? Not that steak. Can't serve that meat. Awkwardly, they're going to get the salad. That's it. Sorry, you can't eat that meat. I'm kidding about the scenario. Obviously, you know, it's... Uh, it, but the point is, it, it, that's what the Torah is saying. That if you're temporarily staying at the Kohen's house, you don't get to eat the Kohen's special sacrificial meat because you're not a Kohen. Unless you're a Kohen, and then it's fine. But if you're not a Kohen, you can't eat that. No non-Kohen, even if they're in the house, is allowed to eat from the Kohanic offering, um, gift of meat. Gift of meat? Holy offering meat. All right, back inside. Let's continue. Um, and if a Kohen acquires a person, that means an indentured servant, an acquisition through his money, then this servant may eat of it. And those born in his house, they may eat of his food. Why? Because this is not somebody that's working in the house. This is somebody who's part of the family now, right? The indentured servant is now part of the family, part of the mishpacha. He is, listen to this, verse 11, he is allowed to eat. They, this person and his family may eat of his food because they're so part of the family that they can eat of the sacrificial food. They almost become Kohen status. That's a pretty cool um, status um, uh, law. Next, verse 12. If a Kohen's daughter is married to a non-Kohen, so her dad is a Kohen, but her husband's not, so what's her, what's her status? She may no longer eat of the separated holy things. She can't eat. So when she's growing up in her dad's home and her dad brings home meat from the temple, she's allowed to eat it. When she gets married to a non... If she gets married to a Kohen, fine. Eat. But if she gets married to a non-Kohen... And she's visiting or, you know, going to, to mom and dad's for dinner. She cannot eat of the holy offerings. But, verse 13, if the Kohen's daughter becomes widowed or divorced, right? So she married a non-Kohen, but then either the husband passed away or they got divorced. And she has no offspring. So, in other words, nothing that's tying her to that relationship. She may return to her father's household as in her youth and eat of her father's food. But, once again, no non-Kohen may eat of it, that is the general rule. Now what if it happens by accident? What if a man, and if a man unintentionally eats what is holy? Whoops, I thought this was just a regular steak. I didn't realize it came from a, whole, a sacrificial offering. So what do you do now? He shall add a fifth to it and give the Kohen the holy thing. In other words, he essentially gives the equivalent of the meat that he, that he misappropriated, like he shouldn't have eaten that meat. So let's say it's a, $20 steak, so you should give 20 plus an extra fifth. And they, well, this is a little bit vague. Who's the they? We'll get into the commentary here. They shall not desecrate the holy things of the children of Israel, those that they have set aside for the Lord. 
thereby bring, them, bring upon themselves to bear iniquity and guilt when they eat their holy things, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Essentially, the simple understanding of verse 15 and 16 is that the priests, the Kohanim, should not desecrate the holy things, the offerings, those that have been set aside for the Lord, essentially, that they're eating by doing it in a state of impurity or by others eating it if they're not a Kohen, all of these things would be problematic. All right, let's go back to Rashi. Let's see if we can get some Rashis in. Um, I don't believe we did any Rashis. Oh, whoops, I hit the wrong button. Sorry. Try that again. I don't believe we did any Rashis on chapter 22, so let's jump in over there. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm going to skip these first few Rashis. It's kind of the preamble, if you will. Any man who comes near the holy sacrifice, the phrase comes near really means eating. We're not talking about getting too close. We're not about eating. Don't eat. If you're impure, if you're a Kohen who's impure, don't eat of those holy offerings. In which context? While the defilement is still upon him, meaning while the person is still in a state of uncleanness. All right, the 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 the, the um, commandment was any man whatsoever among Aaron's offspring who is impure, etc. But how do we know Aaron himself? That's what Rashi says. I know only that Aaron's offspring are meant, uh, are referred to in this passage. How do we know that he himself and every Kohen Gadol is also included? Therefore, Scripture states, he, if he has Surat, for one might think that since he is allowed, the Kohen Gadol is allowed to offer up holy sacrifice when he is in Onain, he would also be allowed to offer them up if he has Surat or if he had a discharge. Scripture therefore says, if he to include Aaron and, uh, and all other Kohanim Gadol, which means that only if the Kohen, is, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, is in a state of mourning, he's still allowed to serve, but not if he's in a state of uncleanness, i.e. impurity. And that is until he cleans, cleanses himself, that means, this means sunset after his immersion. Or perhaps only immersion in mikveh, and that suffices. So it says here, Vitaher, it says below in verse 7, Vitaher, and, and it says over there, when the sun has set, he becomes clean. So just like there it meant sunset, here too it means sunset, i.e. that he may not eat holy things until the sun sets after his emergence. He's going to mikvah, and then he waits till sunset, till it becomes nightfall, then he's back in the game. All right. Uh, any through which it becomes unclean. The minimum size of a part of a creeping creature through which contact one is rendered unclean is namely through the volume, the volume of a lentil. It's a very small amount. So Mark, I don't know how big, remind me, how big are the, uh, the bait worms? They're cu- don't you cut, you cut them up into pieces? They're bigger than a lentil. Bigger than a lentil, okay. Yep. Well, there you go. And by the way, a creeping creature, yeah, is that a worm? I don't know, but it's, it's got to be close to the worm family, if not, if not for sure, including it. Um, but again, that would require specific research on specific items. Um, or a person, a corpse. That is to say, cleansing after contact with the dead body takes place only after immersion and sunset on the seventh day. And also, paraduma, red heifer, but that's not mentioned here. 
um, through which it becomes unclean. The size which contact one is rendered unclean, namely the volume of an olive. So when it comes to creeping creatures, it's a lentil, which is smaller. When it comes to contact with a dead body, a human body, it's coming in contact with a part of the body that's larger than an olive, which means, I don't want to get gross, but if there's like a small piece of the body that's less than the size of an olive, it does not render one unclean or impure. Whatever is uncleanness, this comes to include one who comes in contact with a man or a woman who has a discharge, um, or with a menstruated woman, or with a woman who has given birth. In all these cases, there is an impurity. We, we discussed this again in Leviticus. All of, all of these cases were discussed in Leviticus, in Vayikra, previously in previous uh, Torah portions. The point here is someone who touches that person also becomes impure, and thus, if they are a Kohen, they cannot eat of the, the, they can't do the service or eat of the sacrificial meat. Okay. No soup for you. No, yes, thank you. No <laughs> soup for you. I'm looking at this Rashi in 8, verse 8. Scripture warned here regarding the implication of one's uncleanness as follows. If one ate a carcass or a clean bird, which as explained above does not defile through contact or by lifting above, but defiles only when it's swallowed into the esophagus, this person is prohibited to eat holy things. So if you eat, not you, if one, if a Kohen, eats from theoretically a kosher type of animal, but one that was not slaughtered properly, in those cases, once the person puts it in their mouth and swallows it, they become impure. They are now no longer allowed to eat holy offerings until they become purified. Okay. Um, they shall keep my charge and uh, not bear the sin by eating it and thereby die through it, Rashi says. We learn that it is death by the hands of heaven, which is meted out through it, meaning that the sin of eating while unclean, if the Kohen eats an offering while in state of impurity, that brings about the death penalty by itself without any other prerequisites, just such as a witness is a warning, that that could only be by death, uh, only, that could be only death by hands of heaven, that doesn't require the protocols of a court. Basically, God says, I'm going to take care of it. Not in a good way, in a negative way. Okay, no, no non-Kohen may eat it. This is referring to truma. The entire passage speaks of it. Truma is the special gifts that were given to the Kohen. No non-Kohen may eat of the truma. Okay, we made, it, we get, made a distinction between the hireling, the resident and the hireling. That means a temporary Worker in the Kohen's house may not eat of the holy things, whereas the Kohen, if the Kohen acquires a person, if that's a more indentured servant, then that person is allowed to eat from the special gifts of a, to a Kohen. Um, married to a non-Kohen, an alien man, literally, here in the context of Kuna, means to a Levite or an Israelite. If, she, if the daughter of a Kohen marries a Levite or Israelite, she's out of the game for the special Kohen food gifts. But if she becomes widowed or divorced from her non-Kohen husband and she has no offspring from him, then she may return to her father's household. But if she does have offspring from him, her non oh, sorry, if she does have offspring from her non-Kohen husband, she's prohibited to eat truma as long as the offspring is alive. She's also out of the game, not only the kids. 
but no non-koyme idivit me that's seemingly superfluous and it's stated only to exclude an onen, a kohen, whose relative has died on that day, who's permitted to eat truma, that's the exception to the rules we said last time. All right, if a man unintentionally eats what is holy, and I mentioned maybe some of the sacrificial meat, this Rashi says is referring to truma, which are the gifts that the farmer or the Israelite gives to the Kohen. So if a man, a non-Kohen, eats truma, Kohen food, Kohen gift food, then he shall give the Kohen the holy thing, something that is fit to become holy, he shall not pay him money. Oh, I was wrong. But not he shall not pay him money, but not consecrated fruits, which in turn become consecrated as truma. Basically, he should swap out what he ate for other fruit, but it's not the cash equivalent of that. He's got to give him fruit, right, to, to compensate for the food that he ate, and an extra fifth. And they shall not desecrate the, the, the holy things by allowing non-Kohanim to eat of it, thereby bringing upon themselves to bear iniquity and guilt. Um, yeah. This will cause themselves to bear iniquity when they, non-Kohanim, eat the holy things which are set aside for Truma. Okay, all right, sounds good. Let's go on to, ver to reading three, and let's see how long this one is. Okay, it's decently long. Let's do a, a few verses at least, so that tomorrow we can fully catch up. Leviticus chapter 22, and the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 17, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons. Again, we have here a message for the priests. But it also says, and to all the children of Israel, which means that everyone's got to know this. This is for the Kohanim and non-Kohanim. And say to them, any man whatsoever from the house of Israel, from the strangers among Israel, who offers up his sacrifice for any of their vows or for any of their donations, that they may offer up to the Lord as a burnt offering. So essentially, if anybody brings a burnt offering to be favorable for you, it shall be, in, other words, in order for your burnt offering to be accepted, God is saying, you want a burnt offering is the Ola. That was the first offering we learned at the beginning of the book of Leviticus. A burnt offering is not an obligatory offering. It's a voluntary donation offering. It's a person says, I want to give, I want to bring a gift to God. If that's the case, here are the type of animals that can be brought for that. So if you want it to be favorable for you, if you want God to like it, then it shall be, this, this sacrifice shall be an unblemished male uh, animal from cattle, from sheep, or from goats. Any animal that has a blemish, I mentioned this before, any animal that has a blemish, you shall not offer up. For it will not be favorable for you. And if a man offers up a peace offering to the Lord, so that was a burnt offering, right? Burnt offering is where the entire animal pretty much is burnt on the altar, and God is delineating or, or detailing which animals should be brought for that. Next, if a man offers up a peace offering, the peace offering is the one that part of it goes on the altar, part of it to the Kohen, part of it to the one who brought it. So if a man offers up a peace offering to the Lord for declaring a vow or as a donation, or as a, or as a donation, if he promised to do so, or he's just donating it, a peace offering, just bringing it, so from cattle or from flock to be accepted, it shall be, once again, unblemished. It shall not have any defect in it. An animal that has blindness. Now we detail what would... What would um, Invalidate the animal to be brought as an offering. Any animal that has a bl that has blindness or a broken bone or a split eyelid or lip or one that has warts or dry lesions or weeping sores. What a list. 
You shall not offer up any of these to the Lord, nor shall you place any of these as a fire offering upon the altar to the Lord. So don't bring them as a sacrifice on the altar or burn them on the altar. Don't slaughter them nor burn them on the fire. As for an ox or sheep that has mismatching limbs or uncloven hooves, you may make it into a donation, but as a vow will not be accepted. You can just give it, but if you promise, if, if this is re- if a person says, I promise to give an offering to the temple, then you have to deliver a healthy, good animal. If you just donate it, that's one thing. But if you pledged, and now this is how you want to fulfill your pledge, nice try. You pledged an animal to God, you verbally pledged that, great. Don't cut corners and get the, the one with the broken leg. All right. Any animal whose testicles were squashed, crushed, pulled out, or severed, you shall not offer up to the Lord. And in your land, you shall not do it. Uh, that means do not compromise the reproductive organs of the animal. Bob Barker. Remember him? Price is right. Bob Barker would always say, the end of his show, have your pets spayed or neutered. Goodbye, everybody. That's, that was his sign-off. And Torah says, uh, not so fast. Not so fast. Compromising the, for lack of, you know, just to, to you know, for, keep it modest here, the reproductive organs of a male animal would be problematic. Simply stated. That's what the Torah tells us here, right? In your land, you shall not do it. It's not, shouldn't be brought as an offering, and in your land, you shall not do it. Even doing it itself is not good. And by the way, what if somebody who is not Jewish wants to bring up this type of animal? Also not okay. And from the hand of a Gentile, you shall not offer up as food for your God any of these blemished animals. For there are injuries upon them. The animals are injured. There's a defect on them. They will not be accepted for you. Even though you might think, ah, you know what? This guy didn't have to bring an offering. He's giving an offering. He's going above and beyond. Let's just take it. Let's take it. We'll be nice. We'll take it. No, God says, the standard that I apply to you applies to everyone. You don't bring a blemished animal, and no one else can bring a blemished animal either. Let's actually, I think we can finish this off. Let's actually finish off the reading quickly. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain under its mother for seven days, and from the eighth day onwards it shall be accepted as a sacrifice for a fire offering to the Lord. In other words, you cannot bring an animal younger than eight days old. You know, bris is eight days, right? So eight days is like a a measure of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When we're stability or health or viability, both of the child, the human child, as well as the animal child, the, a new animal that's born. Also, eight days, you get viability. All right, now theoretically, theoretically it can be brought as an offering. Not suggesting that that's the way it was done. Certain animals have to be a certain age, etc. But the minimum age is eight days. An ox or sheep, you shall not slaughter it and its offspring in one day. You cannot slaughter an animal, and its child. That's cruel. And when you slaughter a Thanksgiving offering to the Lord, we call that a turducle. I'm kidding. When you slaughter a Thanksgiving... 
Thanksgiving offering to the Lord is a carbon toda. You shall slaughter it so that it should be acceptable for you. It shall be eaten on that day. Do not leave it over until morning. I am the Lord. Now, as we summarize this, God says the following three verses. You shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not desecrate my holy name. I shall be sanctified amidst the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who took you out of the land of Egypt to be a God to you. I am the Lord. Okay. I know we did that quick. Let's see if we can pull out some Rashi's. And then I am going, then we'll close it out. Um, yeah, different between a vow and donation, just so you know, a nether or a dava. I mentioned it before, but I glossed over it and I wasn't, I wasn't specific or 100% accurate in it. Between a vow and a donation, a vow is where a person says, I promise. Or I, I hereby obligate myself to bring an animal for an offering. You didn't specify which animal. You just obligated yourself to bring an animal. So you can bring essentially any animal as long as it's not blemished. What happens if you said, I hereby promise to give this animal? That's not a vow. That's a donation. That's a pledge for it. It's not a pledge. It's literally a, an assignment of this animal is to the temple. And thus... Um, if the animal subsequently becomes lost or blemished, you don't have to replace it. Because you offered to give this animal, you said, this animal I will bring to the temple, and if this animal becomes unfit, dies, whatever, then uh, it's done. In the first case, you would have to replace it. If you said, I'm going to bring an, an animal, and then you later on said, and you know which one it's going to be? It's going to be this one. Well, if that one doesn't make it, you're going to bring another one, because you, you didn't originally you didn't donate, you didn't pledge a specific animal, you pledged to give an animal. If that first option doesn't work out, you got to bring another one. But if you pledge a specific animal, that specific animal turns out not to work out, then you're fine. Not you're fine, but then you, you no longer have to, you don't have to replace it. Um, okay. Declaring a vow, Rashi says, verbally designating a particular animal. If he designated it merely in his mind, it does not obligate him as a vow. So that's a powerful lesson about in the head versus what's in our head versus what we verbalize. Blindness, broken bones, split eyelid. Rabbi Aaron. Yeah. Is this what caused obstruction of the temple? Yes. We'll get there soon. We'll get there soon. I, I, wanted, I wanted to mention that. Yeah. Good. Um, oh, the split eyelid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, or lip. Correct. Correct. Yes. This one right here, this blemish. That and another verse that we read today. Let's actually skip that because, I mean, let's, let's skip, let's fast forward a little bit. Mismatched limbs, uncloven hooves. So it can be sold and it's money donated to the maintenance of the temple, but you can't actually bring it to the altar. Now, regarding the testicles that were squashed, crushed, pulled out, severed, not to be offered, and not to be done uh, in your land, Rashi says, this thing to castrate any livestock or wild animal, even of an unclean species, that was even a non-kosher animal, should not be castrated. Um, uh, yeah, I, no, that's the end of the sentence, should not be castrated. This is why a verse says here in your land to include any species found in your land. Let's continue. 
from the hand of a Gentile, same thing applies. From the hand of a foreigner. If a non-Jew brought a sacrifice and handed it over to the Kohen to offer it up to heaven, you shall not offer on his behalf any blemished animal. And even though blemished animals are not deemed invalid as sacrifice for the children of Noah, i.e. by all non-Jews, unless they have a limb missing. In other in general, Rashi has the inside scoop here. Like back in the day, back uh, idol worship protocol 101, per pagan worship 101, if the animal has one of these blemishes, they would still offer it up. So here's the distinction between Jewish practice and practice uh, uh, and pagan practices. So even though the pagan practice was to bring any animal, even if it's blemished, and so you might th- say, well, if, if one of them, if a, you know, a, a pagan dude or whatever it is, wants to bring an offering to God in the temple, so they should abide by their rules? No, it goes by house rules, which means that if there's a blemish, it cannot be brought. Let's continue. Oh, and that, and that, this led, or this was a piece of the story of the destruction of the second temple. Because what happened was, and I'll tell you the story in, in just a moment, maybe we'll just end on this, on this story. We have some Rashi's, but I don't think we're going to get to it. It's at the time anyway. All right, I'm going to end with this story. Talmud says that there were two guys. No, there was a guy who was throwing a party. And the guy who was throwing the party had, I forget if it was a friend, I forget who was the friend who was the enemy. There was Kamtsa and Bar Kamtsa. Two guys, Kamtsa and Bar Kamtsa. One of them this guy liked, one of them this guy, this guy didn't like. He told his assistant, invite this guy, don't invite that guy. Well, whoever the assistant was, like me, mixed up the names. Like, whoops, who was it again? Was it Kamsa or Bar Kamsa? Who was supposed to get the invite and who was supposed to get the disinvite? Who's, who gets the you're invited? Who gets the you're not invited over my dead body, right? Who gets what? So the assistant switched it up, right? Good old mistake. I think it was Bar Kamsa that was not, not, the, uh, not the friend. So Bar Kamsa, I think, he came to the party because he thought he was invited. And... The host sees him and he says, what are you doing here? He says, I got an invitation. He says, it was a mistake. You're not invited. The guy says, okay, I'm sorry. Sorry that I, uh, there, there was a mistake. Sorry for miscommunication. But if it's okay, I'd like to still stay at the party. He's like, no, you have to leave. He's like, listen, I'll pay for my food, but let me stay. No, you have to leave. I'll pay for half the party. Let me stay. No, I'll pay for the whole party. Nope, I'm kicking you out. Security calls. And they take him out. I believe it was bar council. They took him out of the party. He got so upset. He got so upset that no one did anything. Right? None of the attendees stopped this, uh, what he felt was this massive, um, you know, just grievance against, uh, against justice and ethics and morality and the law. He felt personally offended. He felt that no one stood up for him. He decided he's going to bring down his own people, the Jewish people. These were all Jews. He went to the Romans he went to the Roman emperor and he said, you should know behind closed doors, the Jews are planning to revolt against you. If you know the Roman Empire, that was the worst thing you could say. The Roman Empire was about conquering land and no, um, and no dissidents, no, um, no chutzpah, nothing coming back from that. You get you conquered, you get taken over, you pay tributes, taxes, whatever it is, you're done. 
Um, any revolt, that really got the Romans upset. So this guy, I think it was Bar Kamsa, he comes to the Roman emperor and he says to him, you know, the Jews actually are plotting against you behind closed doors. And to prove it, he says, I don't believe it. He says, well, listen, why don't you send an offering to the temple? The temple was still around, second temple. Why don't, you, why don't you send an offering to the temple? And you'll see if they accept it. You'll see if they like you or not. If they accept it, then you're right. They're fine with you. If they reject it, that means that they don't like you. And now there's trouble. So the Roman emperor sends an animal with Bar Kamtza, and he takes it. And on the way to Jerusalem, he makes a nick in the eye or the lip. He makes, as Mark said, he makes a blemish in the animal. A blemish that's only a blemish according to Jewish law, but not according to Roman law. And they, the temple people, the temple officials look at the offering. They, they hear it's from the, 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 the emperor in Rome. They take a look at it and say, we can't bring it. Not going to bring it. No, you have to. It's from the emperor. We can't. We, we won't. We won't bring it. Word gets back to the emperor. The Jews don't accept your offering. The animal looked fine. The Roman, the Roman you know, officers were there and said, the animal looked fine. Doesn't make sense. They gave, made an excuse. Oh, it's not a good animal. Are you kidding me? It's a perfect animal. It must be that they do hate you. They are planning to overthrow you. And that started the avalanche of pressure from Rome that eventually ended with the temple's destruction. The Talmud concludes on account of this story, which was basically due to baseless hatred of the, the party, of the host of the party, to this guy who didn't like and he kicked him out of the party. Temple was destroyed because of hatred. And so what's the moral of the story? Let's love and be kind. Remember Blockbuster? That famous bastion of Americana? Be kind, rewind. But it's not about the videotape. It's just about life. Be kind. Rewind. I don't, okay, maybe forget rewind. Be kind. Be a mensch. Be good to others. And if you want to know some specifics about how to be good in a uniquely Jewish way, join me tonight for our new course called Beyond Right. It is an amazing course. You're going to love this. It's a course that talks about Jewish values and Jewish ethics as expressed in Jewish law. We'll look at real-life cases and see how U.S. law looks at it, how Jewish law looks at it, and understand, we'll come to an understanding of what values underpin the Jewish law, and thus we'll walk away with those values impressed upon us. Tonight's lesson, all about being a mensch in a very specific way. Join me tonight. If you're not yet signed up, no worries. Plenty of time. Just go to the website. You can choose the full course or the free trial to check out the first class. Trust me, you'll love it. 8 p.m. tonight on Zoom, Thursday at noon in person at Chabad in, in the Shul. Um, with lunch. Thursday includes lunch. Tonight, dinner's on you. But, Rabbi, yes. Are you sending out the link? The link should have gone out. Hold on. It should have gone out. Assuming you're on the list. Yes. You should have received it to your Gmail. I sent you... I sent it to you. Um... If you didn't get it, though, email me and I'll, 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 I'll send it again. But it looks like from my end, it looks like it was sent to you. Okay, thanks. Pleasure. All right. We will see you all soon. Have a wonderful day. I'm about to jump on a conference call uh, with JLI.
This is about an up, I'm editing, uh, working on the editorial on, a, on an upcoming JLI course called the, the People in the Books, or the Books and the People, depending on what it is, uh, which version I'm looking at. Lesson six, Kabbalah and Hasidism. All right. See y'all soon. Take care. Wonderful day. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Olia. Bye, Joy. Bye, Mark. See you guys. Bye.